I don't know if y'all know, but uh, I was actually looking it up, and St. Patrick, he actually, when he was 16 years old, he was kidnapped and taken to Ireland as a slave. And when he got out, he decided that, hey, I want to pursue the Lord, and he felt the Lord calling him to go back to Ireland to share the gospel with those pagans. And so he would actually use the shamrock, the clover, to share the Trinity, which I just thought was really interesting. Uh, and so when he died, they, on March 17th, they, that was the holiday was after this guy. He had a huge impact in Ireland. And so uh, when your friends on St. Patrick's Day, they say, it's St. Patrick's Day, let's go party. You can be like, no, it's about the Trinity, you know. Uh, it's about Jesus. And then you can share the gospel with them. Uh, but yeah, that's not part of the sermon. Uh, that's just a little nugget. You can tuck that away. We haven't even started yet. Um, and so, yeah, but and honestly, I'm really glad uh, just to be here. I'm so thankful uh, just to have this opportunity, just to be able to preach. Uh, the neat thing about this church is our pastors, uh, they're not in it for themselves. Uh, they're in it because they want to develop people. They want to mold them into the image of Christ. And that's the only reason why I'm here. It's because Matt wants to develop me, wants to mold me, and so he gives me this opportunity. And most churches wouldn't do that. And so I'm just incredibly thankful. I've fallen in love with this church because we got a bunch of pastors, a bunch of interns, a bunch of people that are uh, passionate about seeing people grow in Christ. And so I want us to do something a little different before I get started. Uh, Matt Morton is up here every week, and he's praying that we'd understand God's grace I mean, that we would understand this gospel. Trey Corey does that every week. Jamie Bryan and Tyler and all these guys, they worship because of Jesus Christ. And they want y'all to know that he is absolutely amazing. He's worth living for. And so I just thought it'd be cool just for a moment. Just pray for, for Matt. Pray for Jamie. Pray for Tyler. Pray for Sarah. Pray for all these people that just pour their lives out. I mean, this is their life. Uh, they don't get paid a lot. They just want to see you grow. And so I want you all to take a moment and just pray that, that God's grace would be with their families, be with them, um, and that they would just be able to experience that. And then he, if you would, I don't know if you know the people around you, but I, I just ask that you just pray for them silently. Pray for the people to your right, to your left, people behind you, people in front of you, and just pray that God would just move through them and he'd speak to them. And then if you would just pray for me, just pray that God would just give me peace and that I would just communicate his word clearly. Well, Father, God, we love you. We're so thankful just to be able to come to a place where we can freely worship you, come to a place where we can just read your word and just study it. We don't get persecuted for that like they do in a lot of other countries. And so God, I just pray just um, that you just speak to us. That you just, I pray that your spirit would be over this place and you just speak to our hearts. Father, I can, I can have the perfect sermon with the perfect words, perfect illustrations, but unless you move, we're not going to get anything out of it. And so God, we just pray that you would. And we pray that you'd be here. And I pray you'd heal people and you'd motivate us to live for Jesus. And so we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, we're going to be camping out in, uh, in John chapter 21. So if you would, you can open up there. And uh, I'm going to read 17 verses. It's, it's going to be good. Hopefully I can do it. It's a lot of verses to read. But so yeah, you can read it or listen to me read or both. But John chapter 21, 
starting in verse 1. And it says, After these things, Jesus manifested himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and he manifested himself in this way. Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathaniel of Cana of Galilee and the sons of Zebedee and two others of his disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we will also come with you. They went out and got into the boat and that night they caught nothing. But when the day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the beach, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And so Jesus said to them, children, you do not have any fish, do you? And they answered him, no. And Jesus said to him, cast the net on the right hand side of the boat and you will find a catch. So the disciples cast and then they were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. So when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put his outer garment on for the, for the Lord. He had put his outer garment off since he was working and threw himself into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards away, dragging the net full of fish. So when they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire already laid and fish placed on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have now caught. And Simon Peter went up and drew the net to the land full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. And none of the disciples ventured to question him, who are you, knowing that it was the Lord Jesus. And Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and the fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus was manifested to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. And so when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And then Jesus said to him, tend my lambs. And then Jesus said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, shepherd my sheep. And Jesus said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because Jesus had asked him a third time, do you love me? And Peter said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Well, Father, uh, God, we thank you for your word. Thank you that I was able to read 17 verses. Uh, that was nerve wracking. But God, I just pray that your word would go out. It would accomplish what you want it to accomplish. And I pray that we would be changed because of that. Let me pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Well, a little over a year and a half ago, uh, after Rachel and I got married, we moved into a duplex off of Welsh near Consol. And the Lord has blessed us with some really great neighbors. The guy that lives right next to us, his name is Zach, and he has become one of my best friends. I didn't know him uh, before I moved into this place. And he's got a wife, Jenna. They've got a kid, Zane, another kid, Xander. Yes, all Zs. Pretty awesome, right? Uh, but me and Zach, we've, we've grown pretty close. Uh, we go fishing a lot. We'll go to the river, go fishing, usually catch nothing. In fact, we've been fishing for a year and a half, and we still have caught nothing. Uh, so if you know of any good spots, please let me know, because he would appreciate that. Uh, but Zach is an awesome guy. I've learned so much from him. 
Uh, we are polar opposites, okay? This guy, uh, he loves to work out. Uh, he's 6'5", like 250, uh, which is completely opposite from me. This guy is a manly man, okay? When I get bored, I usually like to lay on the couch and watch TV. When Zach gets bored, he'll go in his backyard and build a barn, you know? You're like, who does that? Uh, another thing what he does when he's bored is he'll just go and fix things. That's just what he likes doing, which is not me at all. Uh, one time I was outside in the front yard and Zach was on the roof and I was like, Zach, you bored? He's like, yeah. And he was just fixing the chimney. And I was just like, man, you are incredible. I wish I was like you. Uh, but Zach has helped me a whole lot in, in many ways where I am weak. Uh, pretty much anything where you have to work with your hands, I'm terrible at. Uh, anyways, I think Rachel, my wife, was hanging out with us one day and uh, she was just talking about, we had these ugly looking bushes in our front yard. I mean, just terrible looking. And Rachel's like, you know, I'd love if we could just remove those someday. And I just kind of, stuff like that goes through one ear and out the other. You know, I'm just like, oh yeah, cool. Um, and so anyway, she left and uh, Zach was like, so um, are you going to move those bushes? I was like, uh, I guess. He's like, cool. And so he went into his backyard, grabbed a shovel and threw it to me. And he's like, all right, get to work. I was like, okay. And so I start going after these bushes and trying to get them out. And I'm working on them for a good 30 minutes. And for me, that's a long time. And, uh, and after a while, I, I realized I can't get this bush out. It had a huge root. And I was just like, I can't get this out. Uh, and so it was pretty embarrassing. I, had, I went back to Zach's house and I said, Zach, uh, I've tried, but I, I can't get this out. And he's like, all right. And so he went and got a rope. He threw it to me and he said, tie this onto the bush. And I said, okay. And so I tied it on to the bush and then he got his truck. He has this huge truck and he just backs it up into our yard, redneck style. Um, he then ties the other line of the rope. He ties it to his truck and he says, you ready? I said, sure. And he just books it and hauls out of there and pulls the bush out. And then he proceeds to do this to the other bush as well which is awesome because all the neighbors were outside thinking, well, this guy is so crazy. And I was like, yes, he is my best friend. Uh, and I tell you that story for, for a couple of reasons. First off, on my own, I was insufficient and I was inadequate to get this bush out on my own. All right. Uh, also, sometimes I'll work on my truck and Zach will help me, but I can never fix it on my own. I need him to come over and help me do it because on my own, I'm insufficient to complete the task. But I've realized as I've lived next to Zach that if I just trust and obey what he says, all right, he is going to help me complete the task and it's going to be successful. And the neat thing is, is we come to our duplex, those ugly bushes are gone. My wife appreciates me more. And so it's a beautiful thing. Uh, I've realized just trust and obey Zach and all's going to be good. He's going to help me complete the task that I need to complete. And I think in the same way, uh, Jesus is going to show that to the disciples in this passage. He's going to show the disciples, hey, I want to use you. I want to use you to bring glory to God. I've given you an awesome task, but you can't do it by yourself. You can't do it on your own. You're not strong enough and you need me. And so we're going to see if the disciples will learn just to trust and obey Jesus, then they're going to be able to complete the task that he has for them. And it's going to be a great success. And so that's where we're heading today. 
I think we can all relate to it because we're all like the disciples. On our own, we cannot complete the task that God has placed before us, which is to love him the way we ought to and then to share this awesome gospel with others and love them the way Christ did. We can't do it on our own. We need some help. And so I think this passage applies to all of us. And that's where we're going. And so a little uh, background information before we jump into the passage. I'm sure most of y'all are familiar uh, with Jesus' ministry. Um, But so just to give you a little rundown on how Jesus did ministry, uh, he would make these big truth claims. Uh, He would be in these large crowds and he would say, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one gets to the Father unless through me. And the religious leaders of that day, man, that ticked them off. Because I said, man, that is blasphemy, what you're saying. You're just a common, ordinary man, and you are claiming that the only way to the Father is through you. Uh, he would claim the authority to forgive sins. And once again, the religious, religious leaders of the day would just be like, we've got to kill this man. Look what he's saying. That's nuts. He's a demon-possessed, crazy psycho, okay? Because what the religious leaders were expecting was some big, powerful king to come in, put the enemies under his feet and establish his kingdom. And so when Jesus comes in just as an ordinary guy and starts saying these crazy things, then people didn't want to believe it. They said, there's no way. But so then Jesus, he would claim the authority to forgive sins to a paralyzed man. But then he'd say, which is easier to say, son, your sins are forgiven or to say, hey man, I know you're paralyzed, but get up and walk, you're healed. And we'd see the paralyzed man get up and he'd be completely healed. And so Jesus would make these big truth claims, but then he'd back it up with these amazing miracles and he'd cleanse lepers. All right, he'd heal people, the blind, he'd give sight. And so after a while, people said, okay, we, we better, whatever this guy says, we should listen to it because he's doing some pretty incredible things. And then later on in his ministry, we see him kind of shift his focus from really being in these crowds and doing these huge miracles. And he shifts his focus to a small group of disciples. Um, and we see a lot of these disciples were just fishermen. And he said, hey, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And so he invites these disciples just to do life with him. And he just teaches them. He just loves on them. And he just cares for them. And he just shows them how to live life, how to love people, how to love God. And we see all throughout the gospels that Jesus is preparing these disciples to do ministry for him when he leaves. There's one disciple in particular named Peter uh, that Jesus noticed had a great deal of ambition, a great deal of zeal and just passion. And a lot of the times when you read um, the gospels and when you read some of the things Peter did, you're just like, Peter, what were you thinking? Um, There's this one time Jesus was telling his disciples that, hey, there's going to come a time where they're going to crucify me. I'm going to have to die, but then I'm going to raise again. And Peter got Jesus and he was just like, no, that's not going to happen. And Jesus tells him, he says, get behind me, Satan, for you're a stumbling block. I don't know about you, but if anyone calls you Satan, uh, that usually means you did something wrong, okay? Uh, Try calling your roommate Satan or try calling your mom Satan. It's it's not going to go over well, okay? Uh, And by the way, I'm joking. Please don't go home and call your mom Satan. Hey, this guy at church told me to do this. Don't do that. I'm begging you. I'll get in trouble. Um, Also, we noticed that uh, when Jesus was in the garden, right before he gets arrested, 
He knows it's going to happen. He's prepared his disciples. He's taught them, hey, they're going to know that you're God's disciples by the way you love. And the guards come, they take Jesus and Peter takes out his sword and cuts a guard's ear off. All right. And so Jesus is probably just like, dang it, Peter. And so he gets the ear, puts it back on the, on the guy's head, you know. And so over and over, Peter just makes these stupid mistakes. And then probably at one of the low moments in Peter's life is when they've taken Jesus and they're about to crucify him. Peter's around a charcoal fire and these people notice him. They say, hey, aren't you one of Jesus' disciples? And he says, no, I don't know him. I don't know him. I'm not one of his. And they said, no, we're pretty sure we saw you cut that guy's ear off. Aren't you Jesus' disciple? And he says, no, that's, that's not me. And one more time, someone else was like, no, like, aren't you Jesus' disciple? And he says, no, that's not me. And he denied him three times. And then the rooster crowed, just like Jesus had predicted a while back. He said, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. The rooster crowed and Peter realized what he did. And in Luke 22, it says he wept bitterly after what he had done. Because it finally hit him that he just denied Christ, just as Christ predicted. But the neat thing about Peter is, as we just talked about, he's a pretty broken individual. He's done a lot of dumb things. But God is going to use this man to be one of the pillars of the Christian church. And he's going to use Peter to share the gospel with the nations. Um, and there's, been, there's not many people that have been more impactful in the Christian church than the disciple Peter. And so that's what God has done throughout history. Peter is just one example of many of God will take a broken individual Someone that you look at and you're like, there's no way that God could use them and he'll use them to have a mighty impact on the world. And he does that with Peter. And so right before this passage uh, in chapter 20, Jesus, he has been crucified, but then he is raised from the dead and the resurrected Christ shows up to the disciples in chapter 20. And he tell, he, it says he breathes the Holy Spirit on them in chapter 20, verse 23. And he pretty much tells them, he says, all right, go out and do ministry for me as he's given them this responsibility. And I'm going to stop there because I want y'all to realize the resurrected Christ appeared to the disciples and he is going to appear to them again in chapter 21. That is why we preach. That is why we have church is because we worship a risen savior. Jesus defeated death. And he defeated sin. And so those who trust in Jesus can have hope that we can defeat death and sin as well. If Christ has been resurrected, then so will we. And I think that's a key point that we want to hit before we go any further. And so anyways, right after Jesus has breathed the Holy Spirit on them, he tells them to go out, do ministry for me. And then here we are in chapter 21. And so it says right away, I don't know... um, I don't know what had happened during the time when Jesus commissioned them and now, but we know that from the get-go that Peter says, hey, I'm going to go fishing. And the disciples are like, well, sweet, we'll go with you. I don't know if, if there's one view that uh, the disciples were being rebellious here. Jesus had just commissioned them to go out and do ministry. And so there's one view, okay, maybe the disciples were scared. Okay, maybe they thought that on their own, there's no way they could live for Christ and represent him. There's no way that people would listen to him. So maybe instead of going out and doing what Christ had called them to do, they went back to what they are comfortable with. 
which is fishing. Because if y'all notice right before they became disciples, what'd they do? They, they fished. That's what they did for a living. That was their identity. That's what they were experienced at. That's what they are comfortable doing was fishing. And so there's one view that they decided to go back fishing because they were scared and didn't think that they could be useful for Jesus. They didn't think they could complete this task that he had given them. And I don't, I don't know if that's the best view. There's one other view that, no, the disciples weren't being rebellious. Uh, they were just trying to pass time. Maybe they didn't know exactly where to go next. So they're like, well, let's go fishing. You know, that's, uh, maybe we need some food, which makes sense. There's a lot of times where me and my neighbor are just like, hey, we're bored. Let's go fishing. You know, so they might not have been being rebellious or anything because nothing in this passage, Jesus never criticizes them for going fishing. So I don't know if they're being rebellious. Maybe they're just passing time. It could be either or. I don't think that's the main point of this passage. The main point is the disciples go out. It says they go fishing and it says that they catch nothing. Okay, nada. They don't catch one. All right, these guys are experienced fishermen. This is what they did for a living and they went fishing and caught nothing. Now, one. And then this random guy, because they didn't know it was Jesus on the shore, says, hey, y'all didn't catch anything, did y'all? And they go, no, thank you. We did not. <laughs> um, it reminds me of a time uh, when I was with a, a group of friends, and uh, one day we were, we were bored, and we said, hey, let's go to a park, and let's play some basketball. It's something that we are experienced at, something we thought we are pretty good at. And so we said, hey, let's just go play some basketball. And so we went to this park. There was five of us, and so we had a team and there was five other people there and they challenged us. And so we said, all right, bring it on. Let's play. We came here to dominate. We're good. Let's do this. And so we start playing basketball and there's these four guys on the other team and one girl who's like five foot two. And of course, since I'm the best player, the girl covers me, of course, you know. Um, and so as we start playing, and I, I hate it when a girl covers me in basketball. That just bugs me because I'm just like, man, you need to put your best player on me. Don't put the girl on me. Um, but anyway, we start playing basketball. I'm not trying to say anything against the girls. This is a pride thing. I realize that. Um, and so anyways, we start playing basketball and this girl's got the ball. And so I'm kind of playing her kind of easy. And all of a sudden she drives by me and makes a layup. I was like, huh, wow, look at there. She just made a layup. That was lucky. Um, so then I get the ball and I try to cross her over and she steals it from me. And she takes it all the way in and makes another layup. And I was like, you gotta be kidding me. And so the next time she gets the ball and she starts coming down and now I'm playing her pretty tight. I'm saying, all right, no more Mr. Nice Guy. I'm playing you hard. And she crosses me over, shoots a J, cash money. She makes it again. I was like, you gotta be kidding me. There's no way. We ended up putting our best defender on her and he would try to cover her and she would school him and score. We could not stop her. We got to a point where we even started fouling her and she would still make the shot. It was... It, it was completely humiliating. We got completely embarrassed. We walked away from that game just thinking, wow, we just got dominated at something that we thought we were good at. Um, and I think in the same way, the disciples are feeling the same thing. They've just gone out to something they are experienced in, something they are good at, and they caught nothing. They didn't catch one fish. And then picture right after I played basketball, if some guy was watching and said, hey, it looks like you got dominated by that girl. I'd be like, thank you. I already feel terrible about this, you know? And, and so right after they catch nothing, this guy on the shore says, children, you didn't catch any fish, did you? And they respond, no, thank you. 
So a lot of you are saying, okay, is Jesus just a sarcastic guy like myself? Okay, is, is he just being a jerk here? Is he being a punk? Uh, no, I don't think Jesus is doing that. He's trying to teach them a lesson. And what he's trying to show them is he's trying to prepare them for ministry. And he's trying to show these disciples that by yourselves, you are insufficient and inadequate to complete the task that I have for you. And so you may be thinking, okay, why does Jesus need to show the disciples or why does he need to show us that we are inadequate or insufficient? Well, there's a simple answer to that. And one of the fundamental problems with man is that instead of exalting God for who he is, we will exalt ourselves instead, or we will exalt things. And so what God has to do is he'll put you through a test or through a situation to show you, hey, no, you're not good enough on your own. Don't exalt yourself, exalt me. And we see that ever since the fall, when Adam and Eve committed that sin and they fell, it's engraved in every single one of us to exalt ourselves. We'll take some unique ability, some special information, and we will use it to exalt ourselves. For instance, for some of you athletes out there, when you go to the wreck and someone is covering you and you cross them over and then you dunk on some fool, what do you want to do? You want to go tell everybody and their mom, I just crossed someone over and dunked on him. I am awesome. All right, that is what we wanted to do. We want to tell people how good we did because we want people to be like, man, you are the man. We exalt ourselves. For you ladies, when you go buy a new dress, when you go get some new accessory, what do you want to do? You want to put it on. You want to show it off. You want to go out in public and you want people to be like, wow, she is fine. All right. You can say you don't, but you know y'all have done that at some time or another. You desire to be exalted. For some of you nerds here, you're not getting away. Uh, maybe you're, in a, you're taking a test. You know the class average is a 45 and you get that test back and it says a 98. There is a sense of gratification that you get from that. You said, I am better than everyone else. And you hold that up and you exalt yourself. We all do that. Every single one of us, some way or another, we will exalt ourselves. And unfortunately, pastors are not prone to that. One of the biggest struggles in the church is pride. Because pastors will take this beautiful gospel message. They'll take the word of God and they'll use it to impress people. They'll use it to say, hey, look at me. I'm awesome on this stage. And instead of exalting God for who he is, they'll use the word of God and they'll use the gospel to exalt themselves. We're all prone to it. And to be honest, that's something I've had to pray through this entire week. I say, Lord, when I come up here and I preach in front of people, may it be about you, not about me. We all struggle with that. And I don't think the disciples prone to this either. I think this is why Jesus is showing them that, hey, you are insufficient and inadequate on your own because when they go out and do ministry, they would be prone to do the exact same thing. Instead of exalting God and exalting Christ, they would exalt themselves. And so he had to show them, hey, you can't do it on your own. That's what he's trying to illustrate. And in fact, that's why Jesus sent his son Jesus in the first place is because we all exalt ourselves, every single one of us. Even though we'll take information and ability and things and use them and exalt them above God. And because of that, man, we deserve 
punishment. That's idolatry when you do that. And so because of that, every single one of us, we are hell bound. We are heading towards eternal destruction because God's a just God and he's got to punish us. And so that's why he sent Jesus. He saw, he's like, I don't want all these people to go to hell because of what they've done. And so I'm going to send my son, Jesus, to die for their sins. He's going to live a perfect life. And then he's going to take their punishment on the cross. He's going to die for every single time they've exalted themselves. Every single time they've placed something else over God, he's going to die for that. And so he experienced hell for us on that cross. And the neat thing is Jesus didn't just stay in the grave as we talked about earlier. He rose from the dead showing that he defeated death. He defeated sin. And so he's showing all of us that if you trust in Jesus, if you believe in him, then you can defeat death and sin as well. And that's a beautiful thing. That's the beauty of the gospel. And that's why we up here every every Sunday, we want to preach that message. Believe in Jesus, trust in him. And there's eternal security. There's a relationship that you can have with God that you couldn't have otherwise, but Jesus died for you. And because of that, you can. And it's beautiful. And I want all of y'all to know that. And so I think that is what Jesus is trying to show the disciples before he moves on is, hey, you're inadequate and you're insufficient on your own. But then right after that, we see Jesus say, he says, hey, why don't y'all take the net and cast it on the right hand side of the boat and there you will find a catch. And so the disciples, they get their net, they throw it on the other side and they start pulling in this huge amount of fish. They couldn't even haul in the net because there is so much fish in the net. Okay, so what is Jesus trying to show them right here? Well, I think there's two things. The first one Uh, I think he's trying to show them, one, you trust and you obey me and you're going to find abundant success in your mission. And then I think the second one is, and all I've required you to do in this task that I've given you is to cast the net. That's it. That's all I've required you to do. So let me clarify real quick. Um, When I say trust and obey Jesus, and you'll find overwhelming, abundant success. What I'm not saying is trust Jesus and you'll be blessed in every single thing that you do. Okay, that is what I'm not saying. It's not you trust Jesus and now I'm gonna have 20 cars, 10 houses, everything's easy, it's gonna be good. That is not what I'm saying. But unfortunately, that's what a lot of churches will tell you. Hey, trust Jesus and you will be on cloud nine. Everything will be good. Everything's gravy. It's all easy. Uh, That's not what I'm saying. The New Testament is really clear that, okay, if you trust Christ, you put your faith in him, you will suffer. You're going to go through hard times. You will be persecuted. Times will be rough. And a lot of the times the New Testament writers are urging their audience. They're saying, all right, hang on, persevere. I know it's rough, but there's a better day coming. And so we can know that this isn't what Jesus is trying to communicate. Hey, you'll be blessed in everything you do. But what he is trying to tell the disciples, okay, if you trust and you obey me, you will have abundant success as you go about your mission. And your mission is to glorify me. And so what he's saying, if you'll let me, I want to use you. I want to use you to proclaim the gospel. I want to use you to show Jesus to the world. I want to use you to show the world where salvation comes from. It comes from Jesus Christ. 
And if you'll let me, you'll have abundant success as you go about doing that. And there's going to be more joy, more gratification that comes from that than anything else this world can provide. All right. Now, once again, let me clarify. Okay, trust and obey Jesus. You're not always going to see the success. You're not always going to see the fruit. Uh, There's a lot of times the disciples, I mean, 11 out of 12 of the disciples died horrific deaths. They were in prison for long periods of time. There were points in their lives where they never saw, they didn't see any fruit. They didn't feel like, they probably didn't feel like they were making an impact. They couldn't see it with their eyes. But I think Jesus gave them this illustration because they could go back and remember, well, wait, God's faithful. If I trust him and choose to be used by him, he said, there's going to be abundant success. He will move. He's faithful to move. And so they could remember this experience and have faith that, okay, maybe I can't see it, but I know God's doing something. I know he's moving because he's promised us that. And so I think that's the main thing Jesus wanted to show them. And the neat thing is the disciples are still, they're in heaven now, but they are still seeing the success of their ministry. This is why we have church because we had some disciples that believed in what Jesus said and they went out and started sharing the gospel. And now there is millions of people who trust in Christ. At that time, they probably didn't see it, but it's happening now. And it's awesome. There's an illustration that I thought of that I felt like kind of related to this. Uh, I have an, an uncle, a Down syndrome uncle uh, named Paul. Uh, he is, he brings me some of the biggest joy that I get in life. Uh, I love my uncle Paul. Uh, He is an awesome man. A lot of people think, man, why would God do such a thing and create someone down syndrome and, you know, do that to him? And I don't know what they're talking about because my uncle Paul is one of the happiest guys. He's one of the most joyful guys I've ever met in my life. And all he does is bring joy to everyone he's around. So I think God knew exactly what he was doing when he created my uncle. Because to be honest, out of anyone in my family, uh, that I, I probably see Jesus more in my Uncle Paul than I see in anybody else. Uh, he's just an awesome guy. But anyways, my Uncle Paul, he loves Aggie sports, okay? He loves Aggie football. He loves Aggie baseball, Aggie basketball. He loves everything Aggie, okay? He bleeds maroon, all right? And so what he, he does at every family event, we will saw varsity's horns off, okay? Because that is what Paul wants to do, all right? Or we'll do yell practice because Paul wants to do that. He loves the Aggies, all right? Every time when Paul prays, he makes sure to pray that God would bless the Aggie football team and that we'd win the national championship. Yeah, that's right. You don't bleed maroon until you pray for the Aggies to win a national championship, all right? And that's what my uncle Paul does, all right. Neat thing about my uncle Paul is he actually got to meet uh, one of our old famous coaches at Texas A&M, Jackie Sherrill. I don't know if y'all know him. Y'all should Google him. He's awesome. Uh, R.C. Slocum. Paul was real close with these coaches. And he would actually, after the games, he'd get to go uh, hang out with the coaches. And since he knew the coach, they would allow him after the games to go into the locker room and hang out with the players. And a lot of times, sometimes the Aggies would lose or we just run out of time, right? Um, and Paul would go into the locker room and he would just go to those players and just encourage them, you know? And a lot of the time, a lot of the players uh, would say, man, they, they got such, they were so encouraged when Paul would come in because he would just encourage all of them. Be like, hey, it's, all, it's good, it's good. Y'all did great, you know? Um, and these players would be so encouraged. And Paul would get to do this all the time. He would do this every game. 
And so because of that, man, Paul will tell everybody he can, hey, I know Jackie Sherrill. I know R.C. Slocum. I was in the locker room, you know. He loves it. But the neat thing about Paul is, yeah, on his own, he, he is inadequate. He is insufficient to be able to go into the locker room. There's no reason why he should be in there. He's not a big football player. He doesn't have great skills. There's no reason he should be in there, but he's in there because he knows the coach. He's got a relationship with the coach. And because of that, the coach will let him into the locker room and he say, here's my people, go love them. And that's the same thing with us and with the disciples. If you're in a relationship with Jesus, yeah, in and of ourselves, man, we can't go out and love people as we ought. But if you're in a relationship with Jesus, you desire to be used. And because you know Christ, he'll give you people. And he says, hey, here they are. Go encourage them, go love them. And it's an awesome thing. And I think that is what Jesus is trying to show the disciples. Um, and then the second point that I think he's trying to show the disciples is all that I've required you to do is to cast the net. That's it. Like I said at the beginning, the disciples maybe were thinking, okay, hey, maybe they're being rebellious. They thought, okay, we can't live for Christ. We're not good enough. We don't have it all together. There's no way people would listen to us. There's no way that we could communicate the gospel clearly. We don't know enough. And I think what Jesus is saying, hey, listen, I don't require you to do much. All you have to do is cast the net and I'll put the fish there and you just have to bring them in. All you have to do is cast the net. It's not a huge burden. I think this is what Jesus is trying to communicate to them. I think too many of us, uh, we make living for Christ too great a burden. We've got this list of do's and don'ts. And we're trying to live up to this great standard. And a lot of us, man, we just don't feel like we can live for Christ. There's no way that we can be used by him. We, we're not good enough. We don't have it all together. And I think what, what Jesus is trying to show you, hey, you don't have to have it all together. It's not up to you to change the world. You just have to cast the net. I'm the one who will change people. In Matthew eleven thirty, 30, Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He says, the task that I've given you isn't hard. You just got to be willing. You just got to go out. I'll do all the work, but you just be willing to serve. Be willing to proclaim the gospel. It's not up to you to convert people. It's not up to you to change people. That's the Holy Spirit's work. It's just up to you to make the gospel known. It's not hard. It's easy. DTS, Dallas Theological Seminary, is a seminary that... A lot of our pastors have gone to, uh, and one of the battle cries of DTS is to preach the word. They want to bring people into the seminary and equip them to preach the word. Because they know that if we can just get people in here and preach the word, that's all God has required of us. And so they get people in, equip them to go out and proclaim God's promises by the way they talk, by the way they live, by the way they act. Preach the word. Preach the truth of God, and then God will do the rest. And you will find abundant success in that. And I think the same thing can be said here when Jesus said, just cast the net. It can almost be looked at when Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy to preach the word. All right? God hasn't required you to do much. He really hasn't. And so be faithful and doing these little things, and then trust that Jesus will do the rest. All right, uh, and so right after this, we see that right after they catch this large amount of fish, uh, the disciple whom Jesus loved, which was John, realized 
that, hey, this random man isn't a random man. It's actually the resurrected Christ. It's Jesus. And so then it says, Peter, when he realizes this, puts on his shirt and jumps into the sea and swims towards Jesus, which, which I love because I usually do the opposite. If I jump into the sea, I take off my shirt and jump into the ocean. But Peter puts on his shirt and jumps into the ocean, which I just think is weird, but awesome at the same time. I'm like, I'm a boy, Peter, being different. Um, and so anyways, it says that Peter swims all the way to shore to meet with Jesus. And the rest of the disciples bring the fish in by boat. And I think Peter is criticized a lot in the Bible for doing the wrong thing, for making mistakes. But I think he got it right here. And there's one thing that Jesus noticed in Peter. It was this, this guy had a great deal of ambition, a great deal of passion. He had a zeal that Jesus wanted to use. And when Peter saw Jesus, he acted. He didn't hesitate. He jumped into the water and swam to him which I think is a beautiful picture of how we're supposed to seek after Jesus. I played football in high school. I know that probably surprises a lot of y'all. I don't have the physique, but I did. I played all four years and uh, my coach would always tell us, he's like, hey, we want football players that are gonna go 110%, go 120 miles per hour all the time. And so I would always be screwing up, but I'd be going 110%. And they'd always tell us, they said, okay, if you make a mistake, do it going 110%. Give it all you got. And so I would do that. Um, <laughs> and it was terrible. But uh, <laughs> that's not the point of me. Um, and so I think if you have zeal and you have ambition, you can get away with a lot of other things. You're going to make mistakes sometimes. But if your passion is directed the right way, then you're going to be all right. And we can fix those mistakes. I think the same is with Christianity. The way we're supposed to seek after Christ is with all we have, 110%. Our ambition, our passion, our zeal should be after him. And then he'll correct the mistakes along the way. But if you don't have that zeal, that passion, then you don't have anything. And that don't mean that just because you have passion, that means that it has to come out. It looks differently for different people. But it all, I think, looks the same. Like you're seeking after Christ. That's your goal. That's your purpose. We all have something we're passionate about. We all have something uh, that we are ambitious about. For some of y'all, CC's Pizza, man, you are ambitious about CC's Pizza, okay? Don't sis, okay? We need whoops, because that's a great place. And so you will do anything you can to get to CC's and eat that pizza, and you will go to town. Your ambition, your zeal is for that place. For some of y'all, it's Bluebell Ice Cream, you know? You scream ice cream, we all scream for ice cream. Your passion is for ice cream. You want to get you a bowl of that stuff, for some of y'all, it, it's not really food, but maybe it's working out. You love going to the gym and you are pumping that iron and that is your ambition. That is your, you're, you're zealous after working out, you know. Uh, for some of uh, you guys, um, you'll spend 30 minutes in front of the mirror. You will make sure everything looks good and then you will go out into public and you are dressed to impress, you know. You are a ladies' man. You are looking for the ladies. Your ambition is to get you one, you know. Uh, for some of you girls, your goal is by the end of college, you want to find the person you are going to marry. And so you are on the hunt at all times looking. You have this list ready. Does this guy meet that list? All right. You know what I'm talking about. And so, uh, and that is your ambition. That is what your passion. You are looking for that man. You want to get married. 
For my sister, her, her passion is uh, flowers, you know? She likes different seasons. Uh, I don't really get that, but hey, that's something she's passionate about. God has wired all of us to be passionate, to crave something, all right? We all have this within us. In 2 Timothy, Paul tells Timothy to flee youthful lusts, all right? We all lust after something, every single one of us. But then we notice in Philippians 1 that Paul says, man, I, I'm torn because I desire to depart and be with Christ. In the Greek, the same word desire is the same word that's used for lust in 2 Timothy. We all have been created to lust, to crave, to be ambitious, to want something. And it's meant for Jesus. It's meant for glorifying him. And Peter got that. His ambition, his passion, his zeal, he geared it towards Jesus. And I think that is what we need to learn to do as well. Figure out our ambition and our passions and our zeal and gear them towards Jesus. Use them to glorify him, not ourselves. And so I think it's awesome because right when they get to shore, it says that Jesus had this barbecue ready. He had fish and bread. And so Jesus just whips out a barbecue out of nowhere, which Jesus can do that because he's the man, all right? And so they show up and there's a barbecue. He's got it whipped out. He's got fish. He's got bread. He says, come have breakfast, come eat. And so the disciples sit down and they start eating breakfast with Jesus. Um, he serves them. He tells them to bring over the fish they've caught. Maybe they cooked up some of that as well. But I think what Jesus is doing is he's setting up the stage to teach them another lesson. And Jesus is the master of that. He's got the campfire scene right here. He's got it all ready because he's about to teach them something. And especially Peter. I think he's looking to teach him something right now. And so we notice right away that they're around a charcoal fire. I don't think that's a coincidence. What we talked about at the beginning, at Peter's lowest point in his life, was when he was around a charcoal fire and he denied Christ three times. And I don't think it's a coincidence that here he is again around a charcoal fire with the very man he denied. I think Jesus did that on purpose. And so you can imagine the range of emotions Peter was feeling. Part of him was probably so excited. There's Jesus, the resurrected Christ. There's my king. And he swam to him. But then there's probably part of him saying, yeah, I denied you three times around this same fire. And he probably felt this range of emotions, probably felt a lot of things. And I think Jesus did that on purpose because he wanted to teach him something. Because we see that right after they eat breakfast, I think it's awesome that nobody questioned it was Jesus. They all knew it was him. I don't know if he was still scarred from the beating that he took, but they knew it was Jesus. They didn't even question it. And so it says right after that, Jesus took Peter and he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, I love you. And he says, okay, well, tend my lambs. And he asks him again, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he says, yes, Lord, I love you. And he says, all right, then feed my sheep. And once again, Jesus asks me, he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he says, yes, Lord. And he says, all right, then tend my sheep. I don't think it's a coincidence again. Peter denied Christ three times and three times Jesus asked him, he said, hey, do you love me, Peter? And I think what Jesus is trying to do is he's trying to completely restore Peter. Peter probably felt completely broken. 
He knew he screwed up. He knew he messed up. But I think Jesus is restoring him because each time he says, Peter, do you love me? And when Peter says yes, he gives them a position of authority. He gives them responsibility. He says, yes, I believe you. Go tend my sheep. And he does it after each time Peter says he loves him. And I think Jesus' goal is to completely restore Peter. Let him know, hey, you are completely forgiven. I love you and I want to use you. Come follow me. A couple years ago, I was at a Sunday school class with my parents and Don Eddy was leading the Bible study. I don't know if y'all ever went to Don Eddy basketball camps. Uh, yeah, there you go. And so uh, Don Eddy was leading the Bible study. And anyways, he was, he was talking, he was sharing about this Bible study. And halfway through, this guy in the back comes in, this old guy. And he sits down and he starts, uh, every once in a while, would just give this, um, some amazing insights about the word of God. It'd be incredible what he'd say. We'd all look and be like, who is this guy? He is awesome. We are learning so much from him. Uh, and then towards the end of the Bible study, Don Eddy stopped. And he said, I, I don't have permission to do this, but I'm going to do this anyways. He said, that guy who came in late, that guy who's saying all these awesome answers about the Bible, he was in prison for 18 years. 18 years, this guy was in prison. And we met with him in prison. We shared the gospel with him and Jesus changed him. And that guy is someone that God uses now to share the gospel with people to share God's truth with people. And there he was in our Bible study. Same guy who'd been incarcerated for 18 years. Same guy who probably screwed up big time. And Jesus said, hey, I'll use you. You just come follow me. And I think that's what Jesus, that's what he does. That's the beauty about following after Christ. You're never too far gone. You get a million chances. If you want to be used, he'll use you. And he'll forgive you and he'll restore you. And then I think the second thing that Jesus is trying to illustrate, he says, hey, Peter, if you love me, then here are my people, go love them, all right? If you claim to love Jesus, then love his people. And so I think we can get a lot of things from this passage. So application, I'm just gonna focus really on two things. There's a couple of reasons why I picked this. The first is I think some of you here are like Peter. You've screwed up, you've messed up big time and you know it. And for a lot of y'all, I think this has caused y'all to feel like, man, I can't be used by the Lord anymore. Maybe if you've experienced something, you've given into some sin and you've just carried the weight of the guilt that this sin has caused in your life and you've used it. You don't even pursue Christ. You don't think you're good enough. And you need to know there's restoration in Jesus. He wants to restore you. If you trust in Jesus, you're completely forgiven. You're completely forgiven and he'll restore you. And so you need to go out and move on from that. I don't know what it is, but you need to move on and know that Jesus loves you. There's grace for you and he wants to use you. And then I think for the second thing I want us to get is a lot of us here, like we love Jesus. There's no doubt about that. You trust Jesus. You believe in him for your salvation. But man, you just have a hard time loving people. But Jesus says, all right, if you love me, then love my people. If you claim to love me, then be faithful in loving my people. And so I think that can look a million different ways. But the neat thing about what Jesus says, he's like, listen, I know that you probably think it's hard and you can't do it, but all I've asked you to do is cast the net. I'll do the rest. You just cast it. And so what does that look like? I think that can look a million different ways. I'll give you all a couple. For some of y'all, y'all come to the six o'clock service all the time. You come with the same group of people. You don't know anyone else in this room. If you love Jesus, Love his people. All you have to do is cast the net. Walk across the room. Come early. Stay after. Go meet someone new. 
And that's, that's, what, that's what Christ desires. Hey, if you love him, then go love someone else. Don't just come here and leave. Find somebody. Find someone sitting by themselves. Go say, hey, my name's so-and-so. And just talk with them. It's not a huge burden. You know, for some of y'all, I uh, mean, you have all the same type of friends. Y'all have the same type of hobbies. You're the same race. I mean, go out, get into an organization, be with people that make you feel uncomfortable and love them. And know that's what Christ has called you to do. And so maybe that means just go get into an organization that you're just not comfortable in and just do it to be like, you know, I'm just going to do this because I know Christ has called me to love people. I'm going I'm to show them I love them. I know when I first started going to Bible study here, I called it the nerd herd. I know uh, my Bible study, the first one I got in, I was like, I cannot relate with any of these guys. <laughs> uh, I remember when I first showed up, this guy was talking about bugs and how they're so neat and how God had just created them. And I was just like, you are weird. Um, but God showed me that year. He said, hey, these are my people. Love them. Quit just hanging out with people that you like or hanging out with people that you're similar to. Love them. They're different than you, but they're my children. Go love them. And so I did, and it was awesome. I got a bunch of nerdy friends now, and now I'm a nerd, you know, and it's great. And then I think for some of y'all, you mean you can't love someone because you completely despise them. You're jealous of them. Maybe they have some ability or some talent that you want, and you're like, I don't want them to have that. I want that to be me. And so it causes you not to like them. Or maybe it's not someone you're jealous of, but they've just hurt you. There's a person that has done something to you and you're just like, they shouldn't have done that. And you've hold a grudge against them and it causes you not to love them. And what I would encourage y'all to do is take some time and just pray for them. Don't pray that God would humble these people, but pray that God would bless them. Pray that God would show grace to them. Pray that God would show his love to them and just start doing that. And if you love Jesus, love his people, cast the net. And then for some of y'all, y'all are Christians. Y'all know the gospel. You'll fully believe in Jesus Christ, but you've never shared your faith. You're scared to death of doing that. You don't think you can do it. You don't think you know enough. You don't think you're good enough. And so you just don't do it. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. He doesn't require much. It's not hard. Just go out. Tell someone, hey, Jesus changed me. Can I tell you about him? And just talk to him. We have EV team. They meet evangelism team. Uh, they meet on Wednesdays and Fridays. Uh, I think on Wednesdays from 1.30 to 3.30, Fridays, I think 3 to 5, y'all can correct me. Check out the welcome if I'm wrong. Uh, but maybe that means just going to EV and just saying, you know, I'm just going to go and hang out with these people and just go practice sharing my faith with people. Maybe you just go out and cast the net and then trust that Jesus is at work. It's not your job to convert the person. It's not your job to change the person. All God's required you to do, hey, show people what he's promised them and then trust Jesus to be at work. And so that's all I got for tonight. And I pray that you have to take some time, just pray over these things, pray over this passage. This passage is rich. It's got a lot in it. And I would encourage y'all just to keep going through it. But I urge all of y'all here, realize that God wants to use y'all. Go cast the net and trust him. So let me pray. Dear Father, God, I thank you just for your message. I thank you just for giving us Jesus, for giving us hope, for giving us a purpose. And I pray that we wouldn't shy away from this purpose that you've given to us in Christ, that we wouldn't shy away from loving and serving others. But Father, you'd help us to realize, and your yoke's easy, your burden's light. Help us to be used by you. God, we love you so much. We thank you for your word. 
We just pray this in Christ's name. Amen.